Discover what's happening around our province with todayinbc.com. Sign up today to get the latest news right to your inbox and never miss the news that's important to you and your family. From community news in your neighborhood to what's happening in our province, your source for daily news is todayinbc.com. PQB is the official podcast of the Parksville Qualicum Beach News. I'm Peter McCulley. Thanks for listening. Today we welcome Evelyn Clark, the Executive Director of the Central Island Division of Family Practice. Hello, Evelyn. Hi, Peter. Good to see you again. And we also welcome Dr. Mark Morris, a family physician and board member. Hi, Peter. Thanks for having me on. What geographical areas does the Central Island Division of Family Practice serve, and what is the goal of the society? The Central Island Division of Family Practice has existed for about 10 years, and geographically, we reach from Nanus to Bowser along the coast, and then we also serve Port Alberni. The purpose for the division is it's a member-driven division, and the members are physicians and NPs in that area. There are around 60 members that we have. There are ways that we support physicians in doing things like recruitment and retention, working with them in keeping their practices current, also in supporting them in making their practices easier to operate. We do that through networking. We have certain types of networks, like we have a palliative care network. We have a network for our medical office assistant network and helping them to train and keep their practices up. As well, we have two major projects called the Primary Care Network, and that is working with the BC government and with Island Health to deliver projects that improve team-based care, improve access to physicians, and to build clinics that will improve access for patients. I understand that the Central Island Division has also been in talks with the First Nations about the way that healthcare is changing and is going to be delivered. In a world where we're reaching out to Indigenous folk to work on truth and reconciliation, the division has done a significant amount of work at gathering physicians and First Nations to have conversations about what the healthcare system looks like from a First Nations point of view and how physicians can respond to First Nations needs in a different way. With culturally sensitive care and with culturally sensitive training, we've had the ability to open the conversation between First Nations and physicians and to start working towards reconciliation about how that care needs to be changed so that First Nations feel both welcome and cared for in offices and in our hospitals and our care facilities. Dr. Morris, do most of your patients come from the Central Island area? I hear more and more about folks traveling long distance to get to a doctor even though they move. Do you have any of those particular cases? Right now I have about 1,400 patients in my panel, and the majority are coming from the Parksville, Qualicum area. Interesting, though, in the last couple of years, I do have patients now who live in Victoria and Vancouver who are unable to find a family doctor, and I've continued to follow them. Makes it very difficult, though, when we have to do the in-person visit, but understandably, with medication renewals and just following general health, I've continued to keep them as patients. Is 1,400 patients a lot of patients? I consider my practice to be about average size. When we look at 
how large practices can become. If you have, let's say, a panel size that is unwieldy, then you're looking at lengthy wait times to get in to see the doctor. While those patients may be attached, unfortunately, they don't have the access. I've tried to keep my practice that size just so that I can see people and not have them go to the Oceanside Health Centre or urgent care to get their care. Evelyn, can you share any success stories or notable achievements of the division in recent years? So in recent years, we have launched both of the primary care networks and we're working our way through that. Those are four-year programs. We're directly related and have been involved in the development of the Flowerstone Clinic in Qualicum Beach. We are planning to open a clinic in the Arrington area in the next short while and hopefully supply doctors for that space. We have been very active in recruitment and retention. We are actually quite successful in bringing new doctors into the area. And we have helped to incorporate team-based care in our physicians' offices. And in that, I mean, we are getting nurses into practice so that they can assist physicians in their daily work. We have a pharmacist who works with physicians on med reviews, those kind of things. We also have a psychiatrist who works with our physicians to improve their mental health care. One of the most recent successes that we've had is the facilitation of what they call inpatient bridge funding for West Coast Hospital in Port Alberni. That means that if a person is admitted to hospital, there is always a family physician who is available to follow their progress. It may not be their family physician, but there is a family physician who is dedicated on a daily basis to come into West Coast Hospital and work with inpatient care. As well, their dedication is to work with people who are not attached to physicians so that if you are in hospital at West Coast Hospital, we have worked to supply physicians to be available for that work. You've talked about some of the initiatives and programs that you're working on to improve the primary care service in the local area. What about waiting lists? Is there an overall waiting list and how do folks get on it? Yeah, that's a great question. Initially, we had a registry called the Patient Attachment Mechanism or the PAM. That name did not stick though and uh, the province has come up with one with a catchier name called the Health Connect Registry. And right now we have about 5,000 people on the registry. So if people are interested in getting a provider, whether it be a family physician or a nurse practitioner, they can go to the Health Connect registry online. They can also go to HealthLink BC or 811, get on the registry. I think it's also important to add some context to this. While there is an attachment gap in the Parcel Colicum Beach area of 5,000 patients and approximately the same in Port Alberni, We need to understand that in places like Victoria, that attachment gap is 100,000. As a rural community, we're actually doing very well. And I want to make sure that people understand that if they're looking at a comparison of Parks O'Colican Beach to other places in British Columbia, that we actually are considered highly attached. We have something around 70% of our people who are attached. Whereas if you live in a larger urban area, It's very difficult to find a physician or NP to do services for you. We're very lucky in that respect. When we're talking about the shortage of medical doctors and practitioners, is there any one thing that you can point to that has been the cause? Peter, that's a complex issue. I go back to when I was on the division back in 2016, 
We had a project called GP for Me. That's where the province guaranteed residents that if they wanted a family physician, they could have one. Unbeknownst the divisions when they started this project that there really wasn't the resources available to attach everyone in the province. But as part of that project, we talked with our membership and really looked at finding out how many providers do we have, how many people need doctors, and what are the long-term plans for the physicians. Of course, all of this was confidential. We didn't want information getting out. But what was alarming is that our community has not only an aging population, but an aging population of physicians. A lot of these doctors shared with us that they were nearing the end of their career, that they would be retiring shortly. And of course, this raised some of the alarm bells. This is when we saw that there was a perfect storm approaching. We had approached the town of Qualicum, the city of Parksville, and had some discussions. And I think there was a lot of great plans that we had, but unfortunately, nothing came to fruition. And eventually that storm came and here we are right in the middle of it. Dr. Morris, maybe you can speak to the hardships of being a family physician these days. We hear lots and lots about the expense of running a clinic, as well as tight work schedules and being on call a lot. Perhaps you could expand on that for us. I think most people don't fully understand what a family physician does and what a nurse practitioner does. As a family physician, I am basically running a small business. So I'm responsible for paying my staff, paying the bills. I have to do the WorkSafe BC. I have to do all of that in the background. And so essentially, it goes beyond the payments. We want to have something comparable to other provinces, but if the work-life balance isn't there, we're not going to be able to keep family physicians working. Essentially, I'm responsible for my patients 24-7. And so the college, who is the licensing body that oversees family physicians, says that I am responsible for my patient's care. If something happens in the middle of the night, either myself or somebody that I designate has to be responsible. That's an overwhelming responsibility. We're fortunate here, we do have a call group, so we share that amongst the family physicians. Some areas don't have that, so essentially they're tethered to their work, they can't have a social life, and so they're stuck with this work. The other responsibility is charts. We do have to keep all our charts and records for several years, even after a patient leaves our practice. What a lot of us found a bit disturbing was when we did our licensing, there's actually a question on the license renewal on, do you have a plan in your will? If you die, what will happen to your patient records? This was around the time of COVID. Everyone was quite anxious, as you can imagine. And here we are planning in our wills what we're going to be doing with our patient charts. A lot of physicians are reaching the end of their career and they want to retire, but there's really no one to step up and take their practice. So we do know that there's some docs here that if given the choice, they would retire, but they feel responsible for their patients. They don't want to see them abandoned in this environment. And so a lot of docs working longer than they had intended to. You mentioned that there aren't that many younger doctors to come in. Do you mean there are not that many younger doctors becoming GPs? They're specializing in something else? I think there's a shift in family medicine. I think the shift is inevitable. When I started, we had our old school family doctors. They did everything. They did kind of birth to grave care. There's a shift in maybe people looking at getting a more balanced lifestyle where we don't have the family doctors doing long-term care anymore. 
We don't have them working on the hospital floor, seeing patients. We don't have them doing the deliveries. And so that shift has been taking place. But probably the more alarming one is when it comes to the differences between health centers and community physician offices. A lot of the training is done when they're medical students and medical residents in these health centers, which are fully staffed, fully funded operations. You have somebody who basically can be a nurse there to do the blood pressures, to do all the readings, to assist you with patient care. When they come out to, let's say, a community physician office that doesn't have that, where they have to do all of that work themselves, it's unattractive. And then adding on top of that, you're going to have to run your own business when they have no experience. And so it makes it very difficult. And I don't blame some of these newer residents for choosing to work at more of a health center role. It is more attractive, less responsibility associated with that. And so I think that's one of the things in our profession we're having to look at is really what is a sustainable model of primary care going forward. Evelyn, you mentioned it earlier briefly. Could you expand on the Division of Family Practice contacting and recruiting new doctors for the area? How do you go about that? There are a couple of ways that we do that. We have a recruitment person on staff who works full-time and is available to have conversations with physicians who have an interest in coming to the Parksville, Qualicum Beach, or Port Alberni area. We liaise with Island Health, who has a health match registry, And we are told if there are physicians who have an interest, that recruitment person then goes out and works with that doctor to welcome the the community, give them a, a tour, meet other physicians, look at opportunities in the community. Ultimately, it is the doctor's decision where they go, and we are in competition with all kinds of places. The other thing, too, is that there is an island wide recruitment and retention group. And that is made up of our recruitment person plus recruitment people from other divisions. And they do the greater, larger work out into the greater world. They go to conferences. They work together so that if there is a physician who may have an interest in an area, but they decide they don't want to stay here, then we do soft handoffs to other recruitment people to see if they may want to go to Comox or Nanaimo. Because basically, if we get a physician on Vancouver Island, we're all going to win that way. So there are a couple of ways that we do that. The advertising piece and then our recruitment specialist works with any physician or nurse practitioner who has an interest in coming to the Central Island area. Recently, the province offered a new funding model for doctors. Perhaps you could tell us how that's changed for the better. Yeah, I think the new funding model came about. Just physicians were unhappy with the way they were being paid. Physicians primarily being paid on a fee-for-service model. In essence, the more people I see, the more I get paid, which probably from a quality of care does not make sense. After a lot of discussion, deliberation, they're switching over to this new model. Not everyone is going to the model, but it is there for physicians who choose. To break it down, essentially, physicians are getting paid a base rate, and then they'll be paid also per visit that they see. New to this model, physicians will be paid for administrative time. And so, in essence, after I see a patient and it's decided that they need to be referred to a specialist, I'll spend time and I'll do some notes I don't get paid for that. And that can take up maybe an hour of my day just doing all of the different notes, getting that information off, reviewing lab results. So in essence, time that I'm not getting paid. 
So this model would help solve that problem. We would be paid for that type of work. And I think the model itself will be more attractive, especially to newer physicians. For physicians who have well-run practices, it may not make a huge difference as far as their uh, income goes. During the height of the pandemic, doctors more and more were turning to the telephone to communicate with patients. Any virtual or remote programs available for patients these days? Uh, I think when we look at uh, the pandemic and some of the changes to the healthcare, this is a net positive that we're offering more virtual care. What I see is primarily phone. With our older age population in Parksville Qualicum, it's easy for people to get on the phone. A little bit trickier when we're doing things like a Zoom. There's some dedicated medical software. Telus has some software. There's one called Doxy as well. And I think these are really great to allow people, especially for homebound, they can make a phone call. They don't have to, you know, have a family member, maybe take time off from work. They don't have to pay for a taxi to come to the doctor's office. Of course, with that, we do need some supports. And so with our medical office assistance, there is some training that Island Health is offering just so that we can support that virtual care that's being delivered. As with any kind of virtual care, there are things that we can't do over the phone. Oftentimes, if I'm having a virtual call and there is something that needs to be done in person, we'll organize it for a future date. In the local area, we've seen more nurse practitioners and clinics popping up. Will there be more of those, do you think? Our membership also includes nurse practitioners in the Central Island area. We do support them in many ways. We were directly responsible for helping to open the Flowerstone Clinic The Flowerstone Clinic is run by the Flowerstone Society. The Society is currently looking for more nurse practitioners to fill that space. Of course, there is a lot of competition for all longitudinal care people and throughout Canada, and our nurse practitioners are competitive. So we hope that they can join us, but we understand that there are other options for nurse practitioners throughout Canada. The Prime Minister said a few months ago when the provinces first started meeting about health care funding and an increase in the amount of money that was being transferred to the provinces that he wanted the provinces to come up with some new solutions to the problems as he was talking about increasing the funding. What do you see as some of the changes that could be made to improve the system? And perhaps you could break those up into short-term solutions and then long-term solutions. Well, interestingly, we met with Jagmeet Singh, leader of the NDP, and Gore Johns not too long ago when we had this discussion. While it's great they want to talk about what the provinces can do, I do think there are things at a federal level that can be done, and that would include standardization of licensing across the provinces. What you have right now is essentially these little chiefdoms or domains where you have to go through paperwork and hoops and significant financial expense to be licensed in one province. And then you have to turn around if you want to do it in another province, do the exact same thing, pretty much. BC is a bit unique in that if you want to work in BC, you actually have to physically come to downtown Vancouver with your certificate before they'll actually accept you. So I do think from a federal level, if we could have standardizations, it would allow more portability between the provinces, which I think would open up competition and competition can be a good thing. Also, if there were standardizations, it would allow for IMG, which is International Medical Graduates, to come back to Canada. 
We know that there are many Canadians who do their medical training outside of Canada. For instance, Ireland is a common place where they'll go just because there aren't the spaces available in Canada. And when they get their medical training and they want to come back to Canada, even though they're Canadian, they're given such a hard time and just extensive paperwork to be done. And we're losing those physicians. They're going either to other provinces or to other countries. And so that would be a fairly simple short-term solution that we could look at doing. Also, physician assistants. When we talked about the burden of being a family physician, if we could bring in a physician assistant, that would take the burden away from a family physician, especially that administrative burden that we're under. If the province was able to help with funding or help to support a model on bringing them forward. The big one, which I think the most provinces haven't been moving on is increasing medical school enrollment. That's being done. Most politicians, I think, don't want to do it because the actual fruits of the labor are going to be six, ten years down the line. Medicine is becoming increasingly more complex, and so there's actually discussion of increasing the amount of medical training needed to perform the role. So in other words, a lengthy process becoming longer just based on complexity. Potential other things that can help return of service agreements, a debt forgiveness, looking at increasing ancillary supports, so physician assistance, but also helping with social worker, counselors. A large part of my day, I find, is taking on those roles of being a counselor or social worker. Definitely, there's people who are trained in that can probably do a better job than I can. Maybe something that we can look at is augmentation with AI, some artificial intelligence. I think there's some really interesting things that we can do from a healthcare perspective. We can identify who are the patients who are at risk for hospitalization. We know that based on data. Can we put in a strategy or program to where we can intervene before? When we have somebody who goes into the hospital and someone who's admitted to hospital, we know the cost cares can be astronomical. If we can prevent people from going into the hospital, that'll help significantly with healthcare costs, as well as help with quality of life. Thanks for joining us today, Dr. Mark Morris. Yes, thanks for having me. And Evelyn, thanks for joining us. Thanks so much. Thanks for taking time to learn more about the Central Island Division. That's this edition of PQ Beat. If you have comments or suggestions, we'd like to hear from you. You'll find our contact information on our website, pqbnews.com. Discover what's happening around our province with todayinbc.com. Sign up today to get the latest news right to your inbox and never miss the news that's important to you and your family. From community news in your neighborhood to what's happening in our province, your source for daily news is todayinbc.com.